Good morning. Good to have everybody today. If you're in Kidmo, you can head on out. If you're a guest and you have a second through fifth grader, Kidmo is a chance for them to have their own teaching, small group games, and stuff. And so you can go with them if you want to take your child and let them see what they're doing. You can just pick them up after the service. But we're glad you're here. Uh, I'm glad you're here on such a rainy day because I, you know, we were we were ready to uh, bring it, bust in some people so that we had a few people in these seats. But I'm proud of you guys for coming out in the rain. And uh, we're, I'm really excited about what I want to share with you today and our series, I Love Jesus. So we're so thrilled to have you with us today. A couple of, uh, couple of things just to, to uh, expand on what David had said. Uh, if, if you want to stick around and help today in Kidmo, today is primarily painting. So if you don't have painting clothes, you can go get them and bring them back with you. Or if you don't care what you're wearing, gets paint on it, then you can... Just come as you are. But we hope that you'll participate in that and take part in that. Also, depending on your background, just want to clarify, the baby dedication and baptism are not the same event. Uh, baby dedication is separate. No, that's all right. Baptism is if you have made the decision to follow Christ and you want to make that known. A baby can't do that. So uh, two separate things, depending on your tradition. I just wanted to make sure that was cleared up. And then the last thing I wanted to share with you, I know if, if you're like me, once a project gets started, I can't stand for it not to get finished. Um, and so you'll notice our floors are still kind of bare. Um, here's the schedule as it's been given to me, that uh, a week from tomorrow, they're going to begin finishing those floors. So you can expect a few changes in a couple of weeks. One, our, our preschool area is going to move from where it is now in the partitioned area and where you've been getting coffee and checking in kids and things like that, that is going to be walled off, and that's going to become our preschool room. And then the box office, which is the old box office, if you're familiar with this, this was a theater at one time, um, that is going to be opened up, and that is going to, we're going to begin using that as our main entrance instead of coming in by the bathrooms, which I know for some of you, you wait for the last minute on everything, and that's going to be a little bit of a pain for you. Um, but you're going to have to walk around if you come in here and you got to run to the bathroom real quick. So hopefully that will improve our entrance and improve first impressions for our guests. Uh, We anticipate all that happening in a couple of weeks. So bear with us. Things are going to be changing. Um, I'm really excited about what that looks like, but but they will be changing. Um, All right. I'm going to continue on with our series today called I Love Jesus. And the reason that we're doing this series is because it's very easy to be involved with the church. It's very easy to go to church. It's very easy to, to sign up and volunteer and do all kinds of religious things. You can even download version and you can you know, do a reading plan every day. You can do all kinds of religious activity but miss the very central purpose for Jesus coming to give his life for us. And that is that not only did he love us, but he wants us to love him. And what often happens in the church is that when people come in, we start signing them up for stuff. And we want you to sign up for stuff. Serving in the church is a core, it's a bedrock of who we are, that we believe every person who knows Jesus ought to be serving somewhere, not just in the church, but outside of the church. It's a characteristic of a disciple of Jesus Christ. However, what can happen is that we start doing these activities feeling really good about the fact that I'm checking off my list the things I ought to be doing to show that I love Jesus, but yet not experiencing that fulfilling relationship with him, which is supposed to be what motivates us and fulfills us in our service. But what ends up happening if we miss that vital component and instead we just get busy doing stuff, then we'll burn out, 
we'll get frustrated, discouraged, and we'll begin to believe, well, God doesn't really have something for me. I'm not even sure if he's real. I don't think he's communicating with me, and I don't even like going to church and serving him. I mean, I would rather do other things instead. And so it's crucial that we understand how important it is that Jesus gave his life for us to love us so that we would in turn love him. And it is that love that motivates us for everything else in the Christian life. But I know, as well as you know, that it all sounds good. But when you get into your day-to-day life, life gets busy. There are all kinds of distractions we deal with. And at times, it feels like Jesus is distant, or maybe we're distant. But regardless, it just doesn't seem to be that simple. So what I shared with you last week was, of course, Jesus loved us first. Whenever we're called to love other people, it's always easier for us to love them first before we expect them to love us. And there are times that we come in contact with people that they are just hard to love. And if we're honest, some of us in the room, and I won't point anybody out, and and if you're sitting next to somebody, you don't have to point them out either. But some of you, and sometimes me, are hard to love at times. But in truth, what ends up happening to build relationships is that when we love first, that often lays the groundwork for them to love back. With Jesus, he loved us first and he laid the groundwork that we would love him back. And we would be failing as a church if we somehow communicated to you that your religious duty is more important than your love relationship with Christ, then we have failed to communicate what the gospel is really all about. So I want to share with you a few things today. But as we begin, if you want to take notes, you can. If you've got version on your phone or your tablet or whatever you've got with you, you can follow along there. My notes are there. But as we begin, I want you to know that when we truly know Jesus, we will grow in our love for him. When we truly know Jesus, we will grow in our love for him. It is impossible to know Jesus and not love him. Now, it is very possible to know about Jesus and not love him. We can know a lot about him. We can know he is supposed to be the son of God. He was supposed to have performed a lot of miracles. He is supposed to be the Messiah. He is supposed to have died on the cross so that we could be forgiven for our supposed sins. And I know those things to be a possibility, but I don't necessarily know him. And now that is the difference. If you're married to someone that you looked at across a crowded room for a while before they knew you were alive. You know the difference between knowing about and knowing someone, right? See, when Deidre and I first met, she wasn't all that impressed. I know that surprises you. She wasn't all that impressed. We both worked at a Christian camp. We were both lifeguards. And I tell her from time to time, usually in front of my children, that she used to just not do her job but check me out while I was on the lifeguard stand. Now, again, like many things I share with you, she will refute these claims, but I just want you to believe me, okay? That's really what happened. She'll say it didn't happen, but I know what really happened. (laughs) Now, the truth is, I thought she was pretty awesome, but I didn't let her know that. We had a strict rule at camp. At camp, you can't date someone else that's working at camp. We had, you know, whenever we tried to start dating, if the camp director found out, we either had to stop or we had to lose our job. I mean, he was serious about the reality. You cannot date somebody while you're working together at camp. It just causes too many distractions for what we're trying to accomplish. And so I knew that. So I knew a lot about Deidre, 
but I didn't really know Deidre. Now, as the summer went on and we spent time together, I got to know her more. And then when camp was over, and the last night of camp, I asked her out to go on a date because it was legal. And so we went out on a date. But that process of dating Deidre took me from knowing about her to knowing her. Similarly, we can know a lot about Jesus, but that doesn't mean we really know him. But when we do know him, we have no choice but to love him. Not because he requires us, but because when you see the goodness of his character, when you see how much he loves us, when you see that this is God incarnate who came in the flesh so that he would deliver us from our own sins and we could be with him forever, you cannot respond to that without loving him. So there's a difference. But when we do truly know him, we'll grow in our love for him. And this is not something that everybody is going to do clearly. We know in the world that Christianity is not just growing in leaps and bounds in influence, at least not in this, case, this country, in this nation. But we were warned that this was going to be the, the reality. As lovely as Jesus is, many would not love him. Matthew seven thirteen says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. And if we were to paraphrase this, the way to knowing and loving Jesus is narrow and few find it. But when you find it, you know it. Because it's not just something that you do that you add to your schedule that you begin reading about him and telling other people about Jesus. Instead, it's something you feel inside. It's something that motivates you to action, that pushes you to go beyond what you would normally do yourself. And there's an incredible moment that when we love Jesus, we will view the world and we will view our lives differently. The reason that many Christians do not view the world differently than non-Christians is because they've never come to the point where they truly love Jesus. They know a lot about him. But when we love Jesus, it changes us. It moves us. It makes us different. And this is something Jesus said is supposed to happen. This is not just something I say is supposed to happen. Jesus said, if you know him, if you love me, Jesus would say, then you will be different. In Matthew 16, it says, Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. You know, it really is incredibly simple, the gospel. We make it incredibly complicated, but it is incredibly simple. God created us. We sinned. Jesus came and gave his life for us. We accept it through repentance. We are saved and know him forever. It really is simple. We make it complicated all the time. And the reason that we make it complicated is because we often get distracted There are so many things going on in the world that we take the simple things and we make them all convoluted. And that is not what he intends for us. So why do we struggle to love Jesus? If life is so simple, I will tell you as a pastor, this is the core challenge that we face in the church for discipleship. Discipleship is not rocket science. 
You spend time in His Word. You spend time in prayer. You spend time with God. You go out and you do the things you read and study about. The Holy Spirit within you does something miraculous. It works all those things together to make the world open up. And He comes behind you and creates fruit out of your labor. He begins to make up for all of the deficiencies that you have within your own life. And He begins to move you in ways you never thought you would be moved to experience things you never thought you would experience and to influence and impact people in ways you never thought you could influence or impact them. It really is very simple. But yet within this world, it is so difficult to get people to embark on a a true destination, a journey of discipleship. Because it takes time. And because it changes us. And because there are things that we hold on to that we don't always want to let go of. We don't want to take up our cross. We don't want to deny ourselves. Because once we start bringing in those conflicting emotions, things go from simple to complicated. That is never what he meant to happen. I don't know what you do. When you have a deadline and get busy. But I will tell you one way that I take the simple and make it complicated. There are times that I'll have a deadline coming up and my deadlines will stack up. And so I don't have a nine to five job so that, you know, I I just clock in and then at five o'clock I clock back out and I don't think about it until nine o'clock the next morning. Instead, uh, mine is based on whatever workload has come in. For those of you who are guests, in addition to pastoring a church, I also uh, work another job outside of this. And so when my workload piles up, then all of a sudden I get busy. And there are times when I get exhausted that what I need to do is I need to systematically work through my workload so that I am done quicker and I can go rest. But what I will end up doing is try to trick myself. And as I told you before, one of the things that I can easily become addicted to is entertainment. And so what I will do is sometimes I'll flip on the TV or I'll turn on a TV show or a a bad movie. If I turn on a good movie, I won't get anything done. So I turn on a bad movie, you know, just enough that it kind of keeps my gears moving in here apart from my task at hand. It just kind of keeps me busy and keeps me going whenever I just want to quit because... I'm, I'm just getting tired. But what ends up happening when I do that is I often take the simple task of what I need to accomplish. And because I take a part of my brain and I attach it to something else, all of a sudden it gets complicated. And all of a sudden the easy things get harder and the things that should have taken a few minutes take a couple of hours. I inter, introduce a distraction I think will help me, but what it ends up doing is it just makes things harder. Things get complicated. Things don't work as well. And that is truly one of the reasons that we struggle within our lives because distractions always make simple things more complicated. Distractions always make simple things complicated. If you're a parent of a child, you know this is true. You know that whenever your kids start doing multiple things, you'll say, now just do one. And then they look at you. I mean, maybe yours don't mind, do they? They look at me like I can do more than one thing at a time, right? Jake doesn't do that, do you, Jake? Sometimes. We know that distractions make simple things complicated. It's the same way in our love relationship with Christ. We get so many other things that are coming in, and I want to share a story with you this morning. I want to share a story and a a quick parable. But I want to share the story because this is true for me, and I know it's true for many of you. Because what I know is is that if, if I ask any of you, and likely if you ask me, so how are you doing? How's everything going? 
Do you know how most people are going to respond? Man, things are so busy. Has anybody ever said that? Things are so busy. Man, just so busy. I want to tell you the story about two people. There's actually three involved in this story, but we only hear about two that are great friends with Jesus, very close with him. It is a story of Mary and Martha. If you don't know the story of Mary and Martha, and if you've, if, if you've been in church much, you probably have heard it, but you will know that Mary and Martha were actually the sisters of Lazarus. Now, often they would invite Jesus over. They had a pretty close relationship, which is not unusual. If someone raised you from the dead, you would probably have a close relationship with them too. And so they would have them over. And in this particular story, this is moving towards the end of Jesus' ministry. And we have Martha, who is kind of the caretaker of the house. She's the one that whenever someone comes into the house, she makes sure everything works the way it's supposed to work. She makes sure everything's stocked and the house is in good shape and all of the traditions of when someone comes in are performed. She, she makes sure everything's done. And typically, your, your other people in the house would help you as well, not necessarily in this story. So as we look at Luke chapter 10, verse 38, who do you associate with? And it's interesting how Jesus responds to this. Now, as they went on their way, verse 38, Jesus entered a village. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving as she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken from her. I will be honest, this story troubles me. I'm a doer. I am not a person who likes to sit. Now, I know people who like to sit, and I don't know what's wrong with you people. I can't understand how you work. I cannot just sit. I need to do something because, truthfully, if I ever do sit... I don't ever get back up. I mean, I'm done. I just, I, if I'm sitting, I'm done for the day. And so when I read this story, I struggle because here's Martha. Martha is a doer. She's busy about doing the things that are supposed to be done. And interestingly, Jesus' response was, but Mary has chosen something that was good. Now, as I read that, I, that frustrates me because I think, well, the, the work is good too. I mean, somebody has to do the work. We can't just all sit around. But incredibly, if we go back to the original language, what Jesus says here is not that what she is doing is good, therefore what you are doing is not good, but instead it would be better interpreted to say what she has chosen is better. Not good versus bad, not right versus wrong, Good versus better between Mary and Martha. Both of them love Jesus. Both of them are devoted to Jesus. Both of them are pouring themselves out to Jesus, but in different ways. And yet Jesus, and what has to be the most gentle rebuke in all of Scripture, says to Martha after she gets frustrated with Mary, leave her alone. She has chosen a better way. 
Well, the reason I say it's gentle is because there's many things Jesus could say. And you could imagine if you're also a doer, you know exactly how Martha felt because here she is working. She's doing all of the things around the house that she's supposed to do. And yet there's one person conspicuously who should be helping that is not. And so I, you can imagine that Martha throughout this evening has been letting Mary know, uh, you need to get up here and come help me. To which Mary just ignores and eventually, Martha breaks out and says to Jesus, would you say something to her? I'm doing all the work here, and she's not helping. Now, in all honesty, as a pastor, as someone who serves, and not just as a pastor, as I have served throughout my life as a Christian, I have come to these places where I get so busy about the doing that I forget about the loving One of the reasons that Christians who are doers get burned out and stop doing within the church is because they do out of some kind of obligatory requirement and they are not doing out of love for Jesus. Because when we do it because we're obligated, then we get frustrated when other people are not matching our efforts. And that's exactly what happens with Martha. She was doing something good. She was being a good host. She was taking care of all of the traditions. In fact, we know that is important because in another story, one that we shared last week, Jesus points out, you did not fulfill the traditions when I came into your house. You didn't wash my feet, didn't anoint my head with oil. You didn't give me a welcoming kiss. You did not do the traditional things. Martha made sure all of those things were done. But Mary wasn't helping. But they both loved Jesus. We know they both loved Jesus. Jesus' impact upon their family is overwhelming. But what we read here and what maybe you might be struggling with in your own relationship with Christ is that verse 40 says, Martha was distracted. It's not that Martha didn't love Jesus. It's that Martha let distractions overcome her need to love Jesus. Now, that may not be your distraction. In fact, if you ever have to deal with this particular distraction, I want you to invite me over. If Jesus walks into your house and you need to prepare him a meal and take care of him, would you please call me, at least video it and put it on Facebook or something and let us experience what it's like to have him come into your house. But you, you're probably not going to experience that distraction. But yet we experience them all the time everywhere from every direction. We are distracted. And it is those distractions that make the simple complicated. And instead of us just simply loving Jesus, we start filling in with all these other things. Martha's work was good, but she was distracted. And while she was devoted to her work, she was missing Jesus. How many times have you been devoted to good things And in the process, you missed Jesus. You know, right now, some of you are fully engaged with what I'm saying. And some of you are thinking about what you've got to do next. Now, I don't know who that is. I can't tell by looking at you. But me sitting in many sermons before, I know how minds work. Mine sometimes work that way, too. Some of you already figured out what you need to do next. And you've already got a plan for make sure you get all the things done so you can get a Sunday afternoon nap in, right? 
We're figuring this out. I'm here. I'm doing what I need to do here, but we got to get we got to get to lunch quick. I mean, then we got to get to the store quick because I want to get home and get my nap. And what ends up happening is we end up missing what's really going on because we're just busy, distracted. We have other things going on. And eventually we begin to ask ourselves, why do I not feel close to Jesus anymore? I'm doing all these good things, but I just don't feel close to Jesus. And once we reach that point, there is really no more discouraging moment for a Christian than to feel like I'm doing all the right things, but I am distant from Jesus. Once you reach that moment, that's the moment that you begin thinking about giving up everything. That's often the moment when people leave the church and they decide they're just going to go out and they're going to worship God at Starbucks or Waffle House or wherever your flavor is because they're not experiencing the thing that truly gives life, a relationship with Christ. See, what was more important than what you do is that you have experienced the loving kind of relationship he wants from us. There is a difference between devoting yourself to God's work and devoting yourself to God. There is a difference. You can fully devote yourselves to working for religious things and yet not be devoted to God. There are so many hours in a day, there are so many days in a week, so many weeks in a year, and so many years in your life. And you've got to determine how you're going to use all of those moments of your life. And throughout your life, you are going to have all kinds of distractions that come in. You're going to be distracted by the reality that I need to work to pay my bills. And so work takes an elevated priority within our lives. It's not, a, it's not a bad priority. It's a good priority because we need to pay our bills. We're going to get busy with our kids and raising them. Not a bad priority, but is it the only, the best priority? We're going to get busy with our hobbies and the things that we enjoy doing. Not a bad thing, but is it the most important thing? It's so easy to elevate to priorities things that really aren't a priority not saying that you're raising your kids is not a priority. But nothing should overcome your relationship with Christ. It's an amazing thing that happens whenever you love Jesus and your worldview changes and your perspective changes about how you live your life. All of a sudden, you are empowered to do things that you never felt like you could do before. All of a sudden, you are able to just see Through eyes of discernment, I need to focus attention here. I don't need to focus my attention there. This week, I've I've read a couple of articles about distractions, not intentionally. They just kind of came across. But I shared one yesterday on Facebook, and that is a study done on those who are stuck in poverty. And the reason why, if you've ever worked with anyone in poverty, if you've ever experienced poverty or are experiencing poverty now, You've seen this work. A person that gets into a cycle of poverty, whether they were born into it, which is usually the case, or whether they make poor choices and end up in poverty, whatever it is, usually cannot bring themselves back out. If you do know anybody in that situation, you know how frustrating it is to help get them out. 
And the reason that this study cited was simply because our brains become overwhelmed with all of the stresses and all of the distractions that come in as a result of our poverty. The stress of not being able to pay our bills, the stress of not being able to get ahead, the stress of not being able to provide basic needs for your family, the stress of not being able to hope for the future or know what you're ever going to be able to accomplish. These things become to just bear on you. But the number one was every time a bill comes in, I don't have enough to meet it, but I need these things to survive. And so their mind becomes overwhelmed with stress so that they cannot function in the day-to-day decisions that a person not in poverty is able to make easily. Those distractions and those stresses keep them from making wise choices to get out. If you've ever been stressed out about something, you know how that feels. If you're a person who struggles with anxiety, you know how that feels. It doesn't matter how logical your thinking is. You become overwhelmed and you just shut down. People do it all the time. It's amazing what these distractions can cause. saw so another statistic, and I'm not in, I have no desire to be political, but it was an interesting statistic of the number of news organizations that are reporting negatively about our current president and how it is shaping public opinion about him such that it has never happened before. Now, whether you like our president or not is not the point. What is interesting is how a constant message shapes a population's opinion. It's a distraction. Now, you may love our president and believe every single thing he says, and you may hate our president and think he's lying about every single thing he says. Regardless, you are probably listening to one voice that is influencing you in one direction. It's amazing how we work as a population now in our nation that whenever we tie ourselves to one singular voice, all of a sudden we tend to believe that one singular voice. Even if, had we been able to step back, we may have chosen otherwise. See, when we get distracted, the simple becomes complicated. What Jesus wants for us is to have a love relationship with him. Martha was devoted, but she was missing out on Jesus. But Mary's attention to Jesus was better because she was valuing him above all else. I can't honestly say that I live every day this way. That I value Jesus above all else. I would like to say I do, and some days I do. And some days Jesus takes a back seat to other priorities I have for that day. But amazingly, When I begin to stack up the days where Jesus is not a priority, those days are not good days. Because I am missing something foundational to who I am. It could be no different than if I simply ignored my family for for days on end to fill the same hole that if I ignored Jesus for days on end. He is such a crucial component of who I am that whenever I don't value him above all else and give him the place that he is due within my life, life is not that great. Again, it's a reason that people give up once they are really involved with religious duty, but they have yet to know Jesus in a love relationship. It changes everything. You and I can be so focused on the task at hand that we will completely miss Jesus, whether that be work, 
whether that be entertaining, whether that be taking care of whatever the kids need to do, or raising kids, and sometimes just keeping them alive is pretty overwhelming, right? But let me ask you to fill in this blank. Do you love Jesus as much as you love Most people will already have filled in the blank. Because our minds go to the thing we know we truly love the most. We fill in the blank without having to be prompted. Do you love Jesus as much as that? You know, it's an old adage, but it is true, that wherever you focus your attention or whatever is most important to you are the things that you will spend your time and your resources on. If you want to know what you really value, look at where you spend your time and your resources. And most of us probably value Facebook more than anything else in the world based on where we spend our time, right? Or maybe we value the NBA playoffs. Or maybe we value Sunday football. Where do we spend our time the most? Maybe we value our jobs and the next deal or the next profit or the next acquisition or the next thing we can consume. Maybe we spend the most time thinking about planning our menu for the week and getting groceries and whatever. I don't know. Do you love Jesus as much as you love whatever? It's not my place to tell you that you're a bad person because you love something else because I'm with you. I often love other things more than Jesus. But once we recognize it, we have an opportunity to change it. You will focus your attention on what you love most. It will happen. That is just true. Whenever I was in college and Deidre and I did start dating, I was, I was active in school. I went, to, I went to UT in Knoxville. She went to Carson Newman in Jefferson City. And so she was about a 45-minute drive for me to go see her. And so I, once we started dating more than just a, you know, hey, let's go hang out. You know, once we started dating, then I spent a good amount of my college time not in class at Carson Newman. I mean, I could have gone to class there. I could have gone to school there. So I left. At the time, I, I had a job, and so I still had to fulfill my job, and I lived off campus, and so I had to make sure I could pay all my bills. I was a, a leader at the Baptist Student Union. I was in charge of their marketing for on-campus events, and so I did all of that. I was involved in lots of different things. I did Bible studies. I did all kinds of stuff, but when Deidre and I started dating, I stopped all those things. I didn't stop work. And I didn't stop going to class, but I did stop all my other activities because I spent time with her because she was my focus because I loved her most than all those other things. Whatever you love most is where you will focus your attention. Where are you focusing your attention? What do you get excited about? What are the things that you say, life now makes sense? Is it Martha? I've got to accomplish more? Is it Mary? I just want more of Jesus? I don't know. Let me say it again. You can devote yourself to a lifetime of God's work without devoting yourself to God. What ends up happening, what I know about myself, is that if I don't fill my life with Jesus, I will fill it with something else. But it never fulfills what I hope it will. So what does it look like to, to truly love Jesus? I, we're hoping to answer that over the next few weeks. But what I want to close with today is, is what does it look like to abide in Jesus? Which is what Mary is saying. 
or what Jesus is saying about Mary. Mary is abiding in me. What does it look like to abide in Jesus? What does it look like to make him a priority, to spend time with him, to say, my relationship with you is most important? 1 John 2, 6 says, whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Which means if I'm going to abide in Jesus and he's going to be the focus of my life, my life ought to begin to mimic Jesus's. My life ought to begin to mimic him. John 15, 10 says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Interestingly, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. It's incredible how that happens. In John 15, I'm backing up, Ethan. John 15, there's a parable that Jesus shares, and it, I think, speaks directly to this. It says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. This is that symbiotic relationship with Jesus. And what he's saying, he's making a statement. I am the true Messiah. I am the vine. I am the source of life. And then he's saying, if you will abide in me, you will have my life within you. But if you are cut off from me, if I am not someone that you know, not someone that you love, if you're constantly distracted by everything else, then you will have no power within you. You will be missing out of the things that are most important, the things that you want most. And when it comes to the doing, we don't simply do because we're supposed to do. We do because we are abiding in him and he moves us to serve and to give and to worship and to be with the body of Christ. He moves us to do that. But we do it because he gives us life and we have that love relationship with him. Not because somebody said this is the way you're supposed to do it, but because we know him. It's sometimes hard to understand how you can devote a lifetime of God to God's work without devoting yourself to God. And yet, I know pastors who don't know Christ. I know people who write Christian books that don't know Christ and people who sing Christian music that don't know Christ. I know that sounds incredibly judgmental. When I was in seminary, Deidre and I had some good friends. And, you know, we, you, you have your friends, and then you have your friends, right? And your friends, you know, those are the ones you hang out with, the ones you spend time with, the ones you're on the phone with. We had these two friends. I'm not going to mention their names, but we had these, these two friends, a, a couple, which is good. We were a young couple. They were a young couple. It's good that the guys can like each other and the girls can like each other. It really doesn't need to go the other way around, you know. That doesn't work out well. And so we would hang out, and we went to church together, and did all kinds of things together. He was in a different um, educational track than I was. We didn't have any classes together, but we would hang out. We'd go ride bikes together. I mean, we just, man, we just had fun together. And gosh, I, I, we, when I entered seminary, my mindset of 
what happened in ministry, I, was, I had no idea. I had no idea. And so we started out excited and, and just full of energy, and we're all going to go out and we're going to change the world together, and God has called us to do this, and we are so excited about this. And I remember about partway through a semester, I noticed something wasn't right with my friend, with the husband. I went and talked to him, and, and it was just all over him. His wife wasn't coming home at night. I was like, what? What? This is seminary. That doesn't happen in seminary. And so he began to share with me some of their challenges and struggles that I had no idea that they had throughout their dating relationship and then their marriage relationship. Began to share that she didn't even want to be in ministry and she didn't even like this direction they were taking. And I was like, what? How does this happen? And so he then found some text messages on her phone and it was another seminary student. She was having an affair with another seminary student. Well, I'm a, I'm a doer. I've told you that. I'm a doer. I don't sit around. I don't wait for somebody else to do something. I do something. It may not be the good thing to do, and I may regret it later, but I'm going to do something. And so I found out who this guy was. We both were this guy she was having an affair with. Uh, he worked for the school. I worked for the school. I went to his supervisor. I didn't know what I was doing. I need to talk to this guy. Something's up. I need to talk to him. How to get in touch with this guy? Well, he's not been he's not been at work for like the last two weeks. What? I got his phone number, and fortunately, back then, and you don't know this now. You guys don't know this now, but there used to be these things attached to our walls. They were phones, and they had cords to them, and we would pick them up. and And then one day, we actually got cordless phones that we could actually walk around a little more. Um, but these phones had phone numbers that you could actually track find out what the address was for that phone and so I found out the address and I drove over there one night and her car was in the parking lot and then we knew this is true and so one of the hardest things I've ever done in my entire life was to go back to my my best friend and say she's there it's happening now understand they were called the ministry we were called the ministry this person she's having an affair with were called supposedly to ministry. So you can devote yourself to God's work and not devote yourselves to God. Because people who are devoted to God do not have affairs. And so eventually I, I called and I said, Man, what are you doing? What are you doing? And after he just berated me with a, a list of expletives. I was like, man, I didn't know seminary students knew that much language. You know, I didn't, I didn't know that. I was so, I was so out, you know, I didn't have any clue what the world was like at that point. Come to find out he had grown up in a church, grown up in a youth group, went to a very popular Christian college, and his friends were all going into ministry, and he felt like, well, they're going into ministry. I need to go into ministry. And after I talked to him for a few minutes, it comes to find out he doesn't even like ministry. He doesn't even like Jesus. He doesn't, he doesn't even want to be a Christian. Like, what are you doing here? I mean, this is, if you don't like Jesus, not a good place to be. I don't know. I, it's not rocket science. Long story short, I like to be able to say that my friends got back together, but they didn't. They divorced and separated. It was terrible. And I learned in that moment, you can devote yourself to God's work, but not devote yourselves to God. Now, you may not be in the situation of my friends. 
You may not be that guy who's having an affair with somebody else while preparing for ministry, but yet you may be letting the busyness of religious duty take away your love for Jesus. And you can be missing the whole point of why Jesus gave his life for you. If we love Jesus, it changes the way we live. And when we abide in him, when we are abiding in the vine, then he is empowering us and he is changing us and he is making us into something new. People who love Jesus follow his teachings. And this is so important. Seek to be in his presence. When we come here to worship, do you come to worship thinking, oh, i got so many other things I need to do? Do we come thinking, you know, I don't really like that song. I don't know why they did that song. Drums are a little loud. That guitar, I don't know. It's pretty cool, but I don't know. Or do we come in to say, God, I want to be in your presence. Now, I, theologically, I understand. You can be in his presence in your car, you know, in the drive-thru at Dairy Queen. I understand that. But do we come to worship with the purpose of worshiping? Do we come and say, Jesus, I love you and I want to be with my family and I want them to, I just want to sing praises to you because I know you and I love you? Or do we come because we're supposed to do three songs and this and that and listen to a sermon and then we'll go eat lunch and get on with our day, what we really need to do? People who love Jesus follow his teachings and seek to be in his presence. So how do we start this? This is what I want to leave you with. How do we how do we do this? I, you know, I'm going to give you some things, but, but honestly, it's like, how do, how do I give you four things to fall in love with somebody that you can't stand? You know, it's, it, it doesn't work that way. But if you are already inclined to love Christ, let me encourage you to do this. How do we start? Number one, you have to assess your distractions. You all have them. I have them. We all have distractions. I don't know what yours is. You have to assess them. What is taking up needless time in your life that you could be spending with Jesus? What needs to go away? Does social media need to go away? Does Netflix binging need to go away? As parents, I know one of the things we struggle with is our kids' activities. I never did the number of things that our kids do now. And, and it seems like every year that our kids have been in sports, there are more games in the next season. What are the things that are taking up time, keeping you from the things that are most important? Assess your distractions. And you are going to have to come to the place where we, we cease to say, I'm just so busy. I've been wor- I feel so- There are times when somebody says, Mark, how are you doing? And every time I say, I just, I'm so busy. I feel so bad (laughs) that I said that. And I I can't even stop myself. It's just like it just comes out because that's how I feel. And in that moment, I'm like, I've got to stop something. Assess your distractions. The second thing is this. And if you are already, if you are struggling with the first one, you're really going to struggle with the second one. Be still and listen for Jesus' voice. Be a Mary. I struggle with that. I want to do. God, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do, God? God, can I go do something for you? What do you want me to do? And what he wants is for us to be still and listen for his voice. A third thing goes right in hand with what he says it means to abide in him. Spend time in God's word and in prayer. That's how we learn what his commandments are. That's how we learn his instructions. That's how we learn to mimic him is through his word. Spend time there. 
as I've encouraged you, one thing that has just radically changed my life and just in the, and well, throughout my relationship with Christ, but by refocusing on my time in God's word over the last year, God has just, he has encouraged me so much through that. My life is, my schedule is not different, but how I view life has changed dramatically. You can get so busy that you don't have time for God's word. And when you do that, you will miss out on what Jesus wants to do in your life. And let me just say this, and I want to say this to our ministry leaders, to our volunteers. I want some of you, I just kind of, I want to brag on one couple. I don't see them in here. I'm not So I think I can brag on them. I want to brag on you on one couple. Glenn and Natalia Abels. Are you guys in here? Good. That's bad. I say good that they're not. They should be in here, but I take it back. So last weekend we had our our egg hunt. And let me just tell you, I didn't know this. Um, I found this out later. So both of them were here. They have um, two young kids. Um, One, uh, you know, they've got a baby. And so when we had our egg hunt, they signed up to help with the blow-up stuff. And so both of them showed up, took their turns at their stations for the inflatables. They each had a kid on a hip for the entire hour they had signed up and sat there and helped kids so they didn't kill each other, which was a nice thing to have happen. And so they did that. The next morning, Glenn and Natalia were both serving in our kids' ministry. What I didn't know was that Natalia had to work the night shift that night. So here's what Natalia did. She was there, served Saturday night, went to work, came straight to church, and then served in our children's ministry that morning. Now, if you're not doing that, I don't think you love Jesus. No, I'm just kidding. But I was like, that's the real deal right there. Not because they did it, but because the smiles on their faces and the joy that they continued to exhibit. I mean, I was so impressed with that. Now, for those of you who are serving and for them, I would say this very same thing because they're not the only ones, they're not the only outstanding volunteers and servers that we have here at Journey. We have some of you guys, you just continue to knock things out of the park and I, I just am, am humbled by seeing what Jesus is doing through you. But I want you to remind yourself of something in these moments of service, to remind yourself that this service is not for me, this service is not for this church, this service is not even for the people in the church. Your service is for Jesus. We have to do this for Jesus. If we don't, you will get burned out and you will give up. And I see people do this all the time. They'll be there and they'll be serving, 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 and then they're gone. Our service has to be for Jesus. And you have to tell yourself that because you will get busy and you'll get distracted. And then you'll just feel like, I'm tired. Now I got to go do this thing. And why aren't they helping? Just like Martha. Tell yourself, my service is for Jesus. It's because I love Jesus. I want to invite you. I want to challenge you. It's not an invitation. I'm going to challenge you. Because for some of you, you're going to be like, I love this challenge. For some of you, you're going to be like, this is going to be the worst week of my life. But I want to challenge some of you to do something. I want you to stop every single day this week. And just for five minutes, just for five minutes, I just want you to be still and listen for God. I don't want you to do this while you're doing something else. Okay? You can't do your five minutes on your drive to work. Okay, 
You can't do your five minutes in the shower, and you cannot do your five minutes while you're cooking dinner or fixing the lawnmower or whatever you got going on this week. You can't do your five minutes while you're at work when you're supposed to be in a meeting. I don't want to go to this meeting. I'm going to do my five minutes right now. Don't do that because then you're going to lose your job. So don't do that either. But I want you to take five minutes to stop everything, to be still and listen for Jesus' voice. Some of you are going, oh, psh, no problem. I'll do that. I'll do that before I leave here. I'll do that before you finish your sermon, you know. <laughs> I'm going to tell you something. If you are heavily distracted, you will find this challenge very difficult. You're going to, your mind will start racing. You'll start thinking about all the things that you've got to do, all the schedule that's happening, all the responsibilities you have. I'm telling you, Jesus wants your undivided attention. Five minutes. Don't do it just once. Every day this week. Now, at the end of this, you will do one of two things. You will stop. I give up. This is too hard. I can't do this. Or you'll be like, I can't, I can't do another day without this. And you'll be like, man, I need more than five minutes. I need ten minutes. <laughs> and then you'll find yourself setting aside, time aside until maybe one day it's like Mary sitting at his feet. Now, you can't do that all day. And he doesn't expect you to do that all day. Even in this story, the thing that troubles me is that Mary, you know, Martha was doing something good. The disciples had a job to do. They went out and did their job. They didn't just sit around and think about Jesus. I mean, they went out and served and gave, and I mean, they, they gave their lives. They had stuff to do. But if you don't spend any time at his feet abiding in him, you will become empty very quickly. So every day this week, five minutes, stop and listen for God. I'm going to encourage you to do that. I'm going to pray with you, and I'm going to also encourage you to be here for the next few weeks because we're going to talk about a different aspect of loving Jesus over each week. They're all going to be different, but they're all a part of the whole. I hope they'll be encouraging to you, and I hope that you will find a fresh excitement in your relationship with Christ because that is what the church is supposed to be about. Would you pray with me? Father, Lord, I pray for those in this room, and they are struggling for all that they have to do, and they are missing out on you. Father, I pray that you would keep us from being devoted to our work instead of devoted to you. I pray that our lives would be consumed with spending time in your presence, knowing your word and practicing it. I pray that you would help us on the days that we have so many things going on that it just seems impossible to fit everything in, that we will not neglect our time with you. Father, I thank you that your love is complete, that you loved us when we were unlovable. You loved us when all that made us who we are was our sin. But you gave your life for us that we could be forgiven, we could be made new, and we could spend an eternity with you. Father, I pray that for those that are in this room and they have made that decision, but they are not experiencing every single day, I pray that this will be a time that they would renew not only their commitment to you, but their love for you. I pray that you would fill us with your spirit. You would fill us with hope and joy and peace. I pray that you would work through us and that we would bear fruit in accordance to what you are doing in us, not some preconceived idea of what we're supposed to do because we go to church. Father, I pray that you would change us from the inside out and let us show others the incredible love we have for you that you first gave to us. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.